Father, in just a moment, we're going to open your word and we're going to focus on what you have to say. The words of Terry Green aren't very important, but thus saith the Lord is vital. We need to understand your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding as you promised that he would, that he would help us to understand the things that you have taught and said. And so we ask for that work of the Holy Spirit to take place in our hearts. Help us to be attentive, to listen to the word spoken and the word spoken into our heart by the Holy Spirit. May you be honored and glorified in this place because we are your people meeting on your day in your house. May our thoughts and our actions, our decisions, may they bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you take your Bible and turn to 2 Peter, you could also turn to 1 John because we're going to be right at the very end of 2 Peter. So if it's on the same page for you, that works out great. Uh, we're going to look at, at 2 Peter, and then we're going to look at a bunch of other scriptures, and our focus for the next couple of weeks is on Peter's challenge of growing in grace. Because sometimes you've heard grace described as unmerited favor, right? And that's the grace of salvation is truly unmerited favor. It's the grace we receive. We'll talk about that this morning. But, but grace is more than just unmerited favor. And so God doesn't just want to see you get saved. He doesn't want just just see you escape hell. He has so much more for you. And so Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, is writing to believers at large in the first century. And the Holy Spirit preserved this word for us to learn from it. And so Peter's telling them the last things that he said. Look at the end of Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. You therefore, beloved, that's how they described believers. They weren't just believers, they were beloved because God's supposed to knit our hearts together in love. So he says, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Now, Peter is not saying they would lose their salvation. What he is saying, they would lose their effectiveness. How many of you know of a church that once was solidly following the word of God and they're not anymore? Or they stopped, and then quite often the church ended up closing. Why? Pastor Gene Schaefer used to pastor this church. He became the pastor of this church in 1995, and he, is that the right year? Yeah. No, we came in 98. He became the pastor in 1992, and he pastored this church, and he preached, and he taught, and he he poured his heart into it. And then God gave him some medical issues, and he had to medically retire young in his early 60s and had to retire. And so the church called me to come and be the senior pastor, lead pastor. And then he stayed and assisted me for five years, and then the Lord took him home. But he started two different churches. And one of the churches he started was up in Michigan, I believe. And then there was a church that he started in... um, Nogales, just outside of Nogales, Rio Rico. And then he started another church over in, anyway. The, the first church that he started, they ended up closing. Uh, they strayed away from sticking to the things of the faith. The people stopped being faithful financially and attendance-wise, and the church attendance dwindled, and they ended up voting to close the church. And, and that happens sometimes. And then he started another church in Rio Rico, and he built it up, and it was a pretty strong church. And the pastor who came after me, I ended up actually being a guest speaker in that church once. And, and the church was still thriving, and it was strong. And then a couple pastors later, um, they had a pastor who didn't teach God's Word the way we understand God's Word should be taught and turned the whole church away from the foundation that Pastor Schaefer had established. And so that can happen in churches. It can happen in your life. Peter wasn't just writing to churches at large. He was writing to beloved believers in Christ. And he was writing about the danger if they don't stick to the truth of God's word. 
And then he adds uh, at the end of, well, in verse 18. So he said, don't be led away by the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. You need to grow in that grace. So grace is not just the gift that you receive for salvation. You have a responsibility to try and grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you have a better understanding of God's grace, there's some certain certain things that will show up in your life. So I'm going to share these with you first, and then we'll go back and we'll look at various uh, scriptures that can help us understand this. Okay, first, having a better understanding of God's grace will help you rejoice in your salvation every day. See, I didn't just get saved August the 10th, 1976. God is still in the process of saving me. He's saving me my whole life. He saved me, and He's saving me, and someday I'll be with Him in glory. It's not just something that happened back then. God's still working in my life. And so you can rejoice in your salvation every day. There was a kid's book, Fred St. John, a faithful old deacon here in our church, and and he loved this kid's book, and so did I. And it was, I don't remember the boy's name, Alexander, and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. How many of you have had a day like that before? You know? Yeah. Now, how many of you have endured a day like that because the person sitting next to you? Good. No hands went up. Good, good. Okay. So, Alexander in the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. You know what? If you're in the middle of a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, you're still saved. You're still secure in Christ. The worst thing that somebody can threaten you with on earth, they can kill you. And as a believer, when they, if they do that, what happens to you? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. You're right. You go to heaven. We had a guest speaker here once, Randy, a friend of mine, Randy Davis, and, and he was preaching. And he said, go ahead, threaten me with heaven. You know, what's the threat? Huh? It, what, so you can rejoice in your salvation every day as you grow in grace. Secondly, you can appreciate and be aware of God's love every moment. As you're growing in grace, you're sensing God's work in your life, and you're aware of His love. Now, does a loving parent ever discipline their children? Yeah. Well, if their children are still under their authority, (laughs) there are some older adults who try and discipline their adult children, and that's not a good idea, by the way. But appreciate and be aware of God's love every moment. Even when God disciplines you, He disciplines you out of love. Even when God's Word corrects you and confronts you, uh, God's not trying to correct and confront just to mess with your head. It's because of His love. And God's looking at the mess you're making, maybe, and God's saying, oh, there's so much more your life could be if you'll just stop this. So He writes in His book, don't do that so you can enjoy all of this. So appreciating and being aware of God's love every moment. There's a third thing. Um, If you have a better understanding of God's grace, it will help you be aware of His power and His presence in your life. It's not just that He loves me, but He is powerful on my behalf and His presence is with me. There's an old story told about a grandpa who was tucking his granddaughter in. and She was crying a little, and she said, don't leave me, don't leave me. And he said, oh, honey, you're okay. The Lord will be with you all through the night. And his granddaughter said, but grandpa, I want somebody with skin on. (laughs) She wanted to be able to touch him. You can't touch the Lord yet. You will someday. You can't touch the Lord now. In heaven, you will but you can be aware of His power and His presence in your life. God is at work. I've often said He's working on you, in you, through you, and for you. He's God. 
That's what he does. And so a better understanding of God's grace will help you in these areas. Plus, it will help you be able to receive his grace and forgiveness even when you have failed and sinned. Even when you have failed and sinned. You know, um, my parents yelled at each other when I was growing up. And that was how they resolved issues. They'd yell and they'd resolve it and then they'd hug and kiss and everything was fine till they wasn't, you know. And then they'd do it all over again. And I decided I really didn't want that. And I, I decided when I got married, I was not going to yell at my wife. Now, I wish I'd made a commitment to not yell at my kids. And they do too. But um, I learned to yell at them. Yet, honestly, you should only yell at somebody if it's dangerous or an emergency, then you yell at them. The rest of the time, you should talk. And so Kathy and I, for most of our marriage, when we had disagreements, we would sit down and we would talk about it. And we would resolve it. And, you know, we've been married 39 years, and I think I made it 35 without yelling. And one day I yelled at her. Now, she teases me about doing it all the time, but... But I have yelled at her a couple times, and I feel terrible about it. In fact, I feel worse about it than she does, because she knows she gets to hold that over me for months to come. <laughs> she has never, ever done that. But, but, you know, when you blow it, and you know you've blown it, and you've hurt somebody, either physically or emotionally, you want God's grace and forgiveness. And if you're growing in grace, you can forgive yourself. Instead of beating yourself up and beating yourself up and going to God and confessing the same sin over and over and over, once you confess it, God forgives it. God doesn't want you to dwell on the sin. He wants you to dwell on the Son to focus on Jesus Christ. And some people, they get so distressed over their sin, they'll never try and teach a Sunday school class. They'll never try and witness to a neighbor because that neighbor saw them lose their temper, and so now they've lost their chance. God is a God of grace, and having a better understanding of His grace will actually help you receive His forgiveness when you have failed and when you have sinned. So now we're going to look at some passages of Scripture to help us understand these four principles. Okay, now uh, I want you to understand that your connection to God's grace actually happens long before you were even aware that God exists. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I know that it's difficult for some to find them in the Scripture, and, but it, I, it's beneficial for you to look at it and say, that's what it says. Because we're trying to learn what does the Word of God teach, and you learn that by first looking at what it actually says. So 1 Timothy, uh, so, sorry, 2 Timothy, did I say, if you find 2 Timothy chapter 6, you're in trouble. But 1 Timothy, a second Timothy, part of me still on vacation apparently, all right? 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. When did time begin? Time began creation week. God established the universe, and he said the evening and the morning were the first day. That is the beginning of time. Time did not exist before God invented it. God was just in infinity. 
And then he spoke creation and time into existence. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's saying to Timothy that he was chosen in Christ before the world began. How many of you were around when the world began? Nobody was. None of us, anyway. Actually, nobody was, because God didn't create Adam and Eve till day six. So nobody was around when the world began. But, but God cre- chose you in Christ. God planned that in your life, as you walked around, some of you were wonderfully nice people before you got saved. My wife actually was in that group. She was a kind kid, obedient, loving. All of her teachers loved having her in their class. Her husband, not so much. But, but all the teachers loved her. And, and so God had a plan in her life that there was going to come a day when she would be convicted by the Holy Spirit, drawn by the Father. She would trust Jesus Christ as her Savior. And God knew that would happen before he created the world. So God's grace was already at work for your life before your great, 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 great grandpa Noah. You know, it was before all of that. God's grace was already at work that would work in your life to bring you to salvation before the foundation of the world. And it's not just saving grace. But his grace for life. Acts 17.28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. Hey, how many of you can do this? Okay, Show me. Prove, prove it. You can do that. God gives you that capacity. How many of you have ever not had that capacity for a while, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's really hard, but, but thankfully you get it back most of the time, right? But, but God has given you the capacity to live and move and have your being. That's his grace at work in your life. Even our very breath, Job said in 12.10, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. God didn't just breathe into Adam the breath of life and man became a living soul. God gives you breath. Some of you have struggled with that. You have breathing issues, and, and it makes you, you're very aware of the blessedness of breath when you can start breathing again when you've had an episode. And God gives you breath. So God's grace is already there because before you were born, before your ancestors were born, before Adam and Eve walked on planet earth, God had already planned your salvation and God had already planned to give you breath and life and movement and his grace in your life every day. So as we look at God's grace, the first thing we need to remember is you are saved by grace. Now, we're hearing, look at this verse again in uh, 2 Timothy 1.9. He says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Some people are trying to earn their salvation. They're trying to do works. Some churches encourage that. It's a great fundraiser. You want to get to heaven? Give more money to the church. Listen, I got to tell you, I, if you gave in the offering or online, I'm glad that you did. God has allowed us to live in a, a physical world, and money is required to pay the light bills, the electric bills, to carpet cleaning, to janitorial services, uh, and, and the missionaries that we support. That all comes through all of your givings, all the upkeep of the ministries and missions of this church is through your giving. But I got to tell you, no dollar amount will help you get into heaven. It's a gift of God. Now let's look at a couple other passages of Scripture on this. Turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus lays up a couple of ground rules about how people can come to salvation. 
He wants his followers to understand this. Ironically, after Jesus went through these ground rules and explained it to him, some of the people who'd been following Jesus stopped following him. They weren't drawn by the Father. And so they walked away. Look in John chapter 6. Are you there? Verse 44. John chapter 6, verse 44. What are the first two words? No man or no one. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. How many people can get saved without God choosing to bring you to salvation? How many? None. Nobody. Nobody can say, I decided I was going to get saved, and so I told God he had to accept me. Doesn't happen that way. God draws people to salvation. If you read in Romans chapter 3, don't need to turn there, but there's none that seek after God. There's none that are righteous. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. So apart from God's desire to save you, you could not get saved. Look at verse 65. Um, he says, Therefore I have said to you, and that... He, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. And look at verse 66. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. They stopped following. They, they, you, one of the dangers in fundamentalism, now we are fundamental to the faith. We hold to the fundamentals of the Word of God. But we do not call ourselves a fundamental Baptist church because there's some fundamentalists out there that are a little wacky. You know, they're not very fun and they're a little too mental. You know what I mean? Um, but, but there's a group out there and they believe in kind of pressure soul winning. And I, this is how I was taught to witness for Christ. You go to somebody's house and you walk up to the door, and you knock on their door, and if they open the door, you start talking to them about Christ. If they try and shut the door, what, what do you think I was taught to do? Stick your foot in the door. That's why I needed surgery. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, stick your foot in the door. Kind of push your way into the house. If their kids are being rowdy or their television sets on, we were told, turn the TV off. Take the kids into another room so one person can talk to the parents. And I'll tell you what, if somebody came into my house, tried to take my kids into another room, they'd need to call 911 for an ambulance ride out. Uh, you know, and, and pressure and push and push and push. And honestly, I believe that in that church and in that process, there were people who were pushed so hard, they said a prayer to get our group out of their house. You cannot get saved unless the Father's drawing. You can't lead someone to Christ unless they're already under conviction, already being drawn by the Father. And if you try and push people to make that decision, you're hindering the work of God in their life. And a, a church that I was familiar with back in the 70s, in uh, 1979, they said, they reached 300,000 people for Christ, led to Christ out of that one church ministry. And the church attendance grew by 400 people. See, if God's drawing them, they really get saved and it changes their life. If we're pushing them to make say a prayer, it may hinder what God is doing. So you are saved by grace. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction. Jesus wrote about that in John 16. The Holy Spirit is the one that would bring conviction of sin. And that's by God's grace. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 2, please. These are very familiar verses. Many of you could quote them. All the kids in our Awana ministry at some point have to memorize these verses, but it's still good to look at them in the Bible. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9. I'll read them both. For by grace 
you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a gift of God. God presents this gift to you, and you receive a gift. How much work does it take to receive a gift? None. God presents it to you. So the Holy Spirit's drawing. I'm sorry, the Father is drawing you to salvation. The Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin. And the Son is offering grace by His death, burial, and resurrection, paying the penalty for your sins. And now He is, they're all the Father, the Son, and the Spirit bringing you to this place where you can be saved. And when you get saved and you receive that gift, it feels like you're the only one involved in this decision and and you just need to do it. But the reality is, um, uh, Hebrews 12, uh, that God is the author and finisher of our salvation. He's the one who starts it. and, And the Father, the Spirit, the Son have worked to bring salvation into your life because He chose you before time began. And He planned that He would work in your life in this way and that way. And uh, some of you got saved through the ministries of this church or through parents that were saved in this church. God works to bring you to salvation because you are saved by grace. When you stand before Christ in heaven, somebody wrote a poem where he said, In my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. You cannot pay your way into heaven. You can't steal your way into heaven. You can't sneak in the back door. Everybody comes by the front door, and they're welcomed home by their heavenly Father who created them and drew them to salvation. You are saved by grace. But God continues to work in your life in grace. Uh, By grace, God continues to forgive your sins. How many of you have sinned at least once since you got saved? If you didn't raise your hand, you're either paralyzed or weren't paying attention. Okay? We have sinned. In fact... Uh, turn to First John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read one verse, but the verse before it and after it say, if you say you don't sin, you're calling God a liar. So First John, sorry if I said the Gospel of John. First uh, John chapter 1. Now, just to give the background here, John is writing to believers. This is a verse we often used in relation to getting saved, having your sins forgiven for that very first time when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. But if you look in verse 1, John's writing to believers, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life was with the Father, and was manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So he's saying, he's writing to believers. He's saying, we're writing this so that we can, because it was given to us. It's to those who know Christ and follow Christ. His grace is is given more profoundly. Look in verse 9. If we confess our sins. Not those awful, wicked sinners out there confess their sins. We, us, those who know Christ, those who are already part of the family of God, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness is that? All of it. There is nothing you can do that would hinder God's grace to forgive you of your sins. 
we've messed up, haven't we? We've done things that bother us, that embarrass us, that we'd prefer nobody knows about. But God forgives. Because He's a God of grace. And when you really understand His grace, you can understand that, that He continues to forgive your sins. Now, He doesn't just give you a blanket, you're forgiven, you know, like the indulgences the Catholic Church used to sell. They would sell an indulgence so that you could be pre-forgiven for the sin you were going to commit. Uh, God doesn't do that, but he, he gives you forgiveness for every sin. And, you know, to give you kind of a background, in the Bible, he lays out sins of a man who committed adultery. Would God forgive that? Yes, we know he did in David. A man who committed murder. Well, you know, you got company there. Moses and David and Paul. And they all did it. Well, Paul was known as Saul when he did it. But they all did that. In fact, Paul said, I'm an example of God's grace so that God could show how gracious he was that he could forgive even the wicked Saul of Tarsus. God will forgive every sin. I heard an interview years ago. James Dobson was interviewing Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was a mass murderer and an an evil and wicked guy, but apparently he came to trust Christ as his Savior. And so in the interview, he said, I'm guilty, I know I'm guilty, and I know when I'm put to death, I'll go home to be with my Lord. Because he's a gracious God. See, God is so gracious that if on his deathbed, Adolf Hitler trusted Christ, we would see him in heaven. I don't think that happened. But God can cleanse from all unrighteousness. Now, one of the problems we have as believers forgiving ourselves for uh, is that we think, I knew better. How many of you have done something you knew better and you did it anyway? Yeah? Yeah. I knew better. I should have. Well, yeah. But God's willing to forgive it if you confess your sins. And it doesn't just mean you go to a priest, you say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. No, you talk to God and you agree with God that it's sin, and you turn away from it. So I actually read a book years ago, and a a guy, a pastor was writing about the evils of unfaithfulness in marriage. And and one of the illustrations he wrote about was a couple he actually knew, and they were having an ongoing affair. And so after they completed the act, they'd pray and ask God to forgive them and set an appointment for next week. God doesn't forgive those sins. He would if they genuinely repented, if they genuinely confessed. Because God knows the heart. He knows what's real and what's fake. So God can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Every sin you ever committed before salvation... God cleanses you from all that the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. And every sin you commit after that, He's willing to forgive if you confess your sin. He is faithful. You're not. He is. And so by grace, you can get over your own sin. You've probably heard me say this a lot. You're not stuck. You're not stuck. That sin that's been plaguing you, you can get over it. You can get beyond it by God's grace. Now, you must learn to live by grace in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ. Live by grace in your daily relationship. And so we're going to walk through some illustrations of Scripture by Paul, by the writer of Hebrews, by James, by Peter, by John, and by Jude. And uh, by Jolly. Uh, 
sorry. Uh, we're going to look at some passages of Scripture that, that help us live with the awareness of God's grace in our daily relationship with Christ. So we'll start with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there's other scriptures we could use, but I just picked a couple from each of these writers so that we can see this is a theme throughout scripture. And when God repeats himself is so that we can really get it understand it and know it. So First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So Paul's saying, by God's grace, I got saved. Now, notice what he also says. Even after grace, he still has to work hard, right? Grace doesn't take all your problems away. I was reading a devotional by a a Christian author this week, and he was saying, you know, guys will lose their job, and they're just praying for God to provide them a new job. And so he asked the guy, how many applications have you submitted? Um, I'm just waiting on God to provide. Do you remember what God said in the beginning of creation, in a perfect world with a perfect man and a perfect woman, what did God tell them to do? Go relax, enjoy, build hammocks, enjoy the breeze. Uh, Fish will jump out of the sea for you to eat them. Well, actually, they only ate fruits and vegetables back then. But, you know, God put them to work in the garden, laboring. And so I got to tell you, if you're lazy, you're sinning against God. God designed you to work and and to labor and to serve. And so Paul's saying, "I, I received his grace and then I worked. See, some churches have it backward. They think you work to receive his grace. If you work to receive it, it's not grace. That's called a paycheck. That's what you deserve. But you receive his grace, and then you get working and serving and ministering. And that's what Paul said. He received the grace, and then he worked. Uh, The next book, Galatians. uh, Turn to Galatians chapter 1, please. Okay, in Galatians 1, this is also by the Apostle Paul, and this is the last that we'll look at from Paul. But I want you to see several things here. In chapter 1 and verse 3, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace. Paul always puts grace first because you can't have peace with God before grace. Sometimes it's grace, mercy, and peace, but he always puts grace before peace. And so he's saying, by God's grace, we're saved, and, and we have this peace of God, and he gave himself for our sins by his grace. Chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, um, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He said, we receive His grace. And Paul said, I'm aware of it every day. And because of that grace, Paul said he's crucifying himself every day. Now, he wasn't pounding nails into his hands or anything like that. But he was laying aside the things that he could desire. The things that that attract him of the things of this world. And he would lay those aside every day to walk in grace with Christ. Look in chapter 3. And verse 2, 
chapter 3, verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? See, in Galatia, they had some false teachers coming in, teaching them that you have to believe on Jesus and be circumcised. You have to believe on Jesus and follow the Jewish ceremonial law. And Paul said, no, salvation is by grace. Now, once you are saved, God wants to change who you are. But the Gentile believers didn't have to convert to Judaism to be saved. They had to believe on Jesus Christ and trust in him. So living by grace in your daily life, Paul's saying there's certain things he did and other things he did not do because of God's grace. Now turn please to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, verse 16. He said, uh, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, if you've done something and you're embarrassed about it and you want God to forgive you, but you're afraid to talk to him about it, come boldly to the throne of grace and find that grace that you need. God will discipline, but God doesn't want to discipline. He wants you to repent on your own and come back to Him. Look in chapter 7 and verse 25. Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. He's in heaven with the Father making intercession for you right now. He's always living to make that intercession, always, so that if, uh, this isn't exactly how it works, but human terminology, if we could understand this, God the judge is sitting there waiting to pronounce judgment against you, and Jesus is your defense attorney interceding on your behalf because he has already paid the penalty for your sin. So God is at work in your life every day. Look in James, the very next book. Hebrews, then James. Uh, James chapter 1. And we're, we're just going to jump down to verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Jump down to verse 16. Do not be deceived, my brethren, beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So he begins by writing about the patience that we need to talk to God in prayer and faith and then say, when we have endured temptation and we come through strong, uh, then that's because of God's grace working in us. If you endure temptation and fail, you confess your sins and God will forgive you your sins and then you get up and you try to do better next time. You don't beat yourself up because you failed. You try better next time. The home run kings in baseball, one of the first home run kings, who was it? The first name, old kid, Babe Ruth, you know, unless you're really a diehard baseball history fan. Babe Ruth is the first name you think of for the early home run kings. Do you know what else he was known for? He was also the strikeout king. Yeah, if he hit the ball, it was gone. (laughs) But he didn't always hit the ball. He had the most strikeouts and the most home runs. Uh, So you're going to fail, and you ask God to forgive, and you press on from that. So and now look in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I know this is a lot of verses. I think it's important for us to see how God is working in our lives by grace. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God saves you and keeps you saved. Jesus is the author and completer the beginner and completer, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, Look down in uh, verse number 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. His fullness of grace we won't see until we're with Christ when we die or when we get raptured. Then we'll see and experience the fullness of that grace. And now turn over to chapter Second uh, Peter. Sorry, Second Peter. I was gonna, had another reference there, but I'm going to skip over that. All right, Second Peter, chapter one. Look at verse two. He's writing to believers, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Uh, And then he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. While we were driving around in Colorado, we went by, there was one particular place where there was like a village. And it was a bunch of houses that were on this hillside. There were barns and there were ha- and they were all dilapidated and they were all empty, like like a ghost town. Only it wasn't quite big enough to be called a town. And why? Because left to themselves on earth, things corrupt and they decay. But the he- the heavenly reward you have will never. By God's grace, He is keeping you saved. Now. Uh, we were in First John earlier. Uh, let me read a couple of verses to you. You could turn there if you really wanted to, but First uh, John chapter two, verse one: "My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate or a defense attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he says, "Don't sin, and if you do sin." Go to the Father through Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness. In John's second letter, he says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. God is working in your life through grace. Jude wrote this, um, Jude, verse 24 and 5. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. You know, if you went all the way to the end of your Bible, you would find these closing words in Scripture. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. God's grace is in your life. So, you need His grace to be saved, and then in His grace, He will continue to forgive your sins. The other day, I was at home, and uh, I think Kathy and Megan were at ladies' Bible study, and so I was watching the two granddaughters, Megan's girls, and Leah misbehaved. And so I talked to her about it, and I talked to her about the issue, and I said, now, would it be fair if Anna got this treat and you didn't because you disobeyed? And she looked a little pouty about it, but she finally agreed that, yeah, that would be fair. Now, Anna didn't want that. She said, no, no, give it to her, you know, but... But it would have been fair for her to not get that. And then I said to her, but tonight 
you get grace. And her face lit up. We love grace, don't we? Now, grace is no excuse to sin. Paul wrote that to the Romans. But remember, when you've blown it, God shows grace. Now, my wife has never yelled at me. That's not true. She has yelled at me when I was driving and didn't see something that I needed to see. Okay, she's never yelled at me because she was upset. And, and I have yelled at her, but by God's grace, we're both forgiven. She's forgiven her sin. I'm forgiven my sin. There might be sins we don't even know about each other, but God forgives them when we go to him. Because he's God. And so some people act like at church we have to pretend we're perfect. And so when people ask you how you're doing, you say, oh, I'm fine. Every day with Jesus is a wonderful day. That's true spiritually. But if you're in a lot of pain, admit it to a friend. Be careful who you share your struggles with. Share them with people you could trust. But share them. And don't pretend you've got it all together. Because when you read through the Gospels about the apostles who walked with Jesus, they messed up fairly regularly. But by God's grace, you're forgiven. By God's grace, you can live and move and have your being. You can breathe. And God, in His grace, says, after He forgives your sins and He saves you to the uttermost, He then commissions you to represent Him on planet Earth. God doesn't send an angel to minister to people. He sends Teresa and Clorinda and even Gary. No, he sends you to minister for him because he's an amazing God of grace. Grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's sing a, a hymn. It's uh, Change My Heart, O God. And I don't know if there's an issue you're struggling with. I know from time to time there's things I struggle with, and some of them I just try and wrestle with on my own, and others I share with some of the guys in the church, with my wife, with my kids, and I ask them to pray for me. But, but you need a renewed heart before God. And, and God wants you to serve Him and minister for Him and bring glory to Him, but it comes when He changes us from the inside out. And until we get the inside right with God, we're never going to get the outside right with God. Has to be in that order, inside out. Work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation. Work it out all through your life. Let's stand and sing.